Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first, I mean it this time, the very first episode of the Act with Alina podcast, bringing activism into your daily life one conversation at a time. I have a very special guest with me here today. Um, I just so happen to love him a lot. and he's a badass in all things, but particularly um, in urban planning. Um, I have my brother, Aaron Murkar, on the show today. Hello, yes, thank you for having me. The show, like I know what this show is. It's a show. Um, so yeah, I just really wanted to have Aaron on, first of all, because I'm comfortable with him, because he is my brother. Um, but I also think that he has a lot to say and a lot of really helpful things and has a lot of knowledge when it comes to urban planning. So I'll kind of give you a little intro here, Aaron. Um, Aaron has his bachelor's in economics with an emphasis in mathematics from Eastern Washington University. Go Eags. I didn't graduate there. Um, and <laughs> he got his master's in urban planning from Eastern Washington University um, just over a year ago. And so basically, he's just really fucking smart. And I really wanted to have him on today to talk about um, a couple of things. But particularly, I wanted to talk about um, maybe some gentrification and what did you say for the other part? Oh, non-motorized transportation. That's right. Multi nice specialty. Multimodal transportation. Multimodal. Yes. Multimodal. Yes. So I guess we should start off too. I didn't really realize what urban planning was. I know it sounds pretty self-explanatory, but do you want to just talk a little bit about what urban planning is and just a high-level overview of what you do at your job? Yeah, yeah. Um, So urban planning is, it's kind of everything having to do with a city. Um, Hence the urban. Hence the urban. (laughs) (laughs) So um, my degree is also, it's in urban and regional planning. So there is also like a regional planning, which is something greater than a city, like a county or something like that. Like Spokane County versus? The city of Spokane. The city of Spokane. Or something like that, yeah. So urban planning typically deals with um, what we want to see in our cities. So any any of the the public space in cities, streets, parks, you know, sidewalks, everywhere like that. You know, we we really just look at um, what's going to work in a city, what the people want, um, where their issues, and what can we do to plan for the future, um, and how can we how we can write that in a plan and what we can do now to um, develop city code so that down the road cities develop and become the places we want them to be. So it's kind of everything. It's kind of the configuration of the city. So we talk a lot about land use in planning. And um, so that's, you know, there's most cities have a zoning code um, very common in the United States. Um, what is that, a zoning code? So zoning code is part of the municipal code, part of the, the laws of the city um, that govern where you can build certain types of buildings and what uses you can use those buildings for. So for example, hmm. if you wanted to 
build a office building in the middle of a residential neighborhood, that would not be allowed a lot of the time because the zoning code prohibits that type of use. So typically there's just, you know, in a typical neighborhood in Spokane, for example, you have just a bunch of single family homes lining a street. um, And then you have your, like your downtown and you have your other like commercial centers. So, so those all have different zoning and there's different land uses allowed in each of those zoning areas. Is there... Go ahead, you were going to say something else. Oh, so I was just going to say, so as planners, we look at those zoning codes and land uses, and um, you know, part of our job is, oh, if the city really wants this commercial center to be a you know, thriving, mixed-use type of center in the future where you can have, you know, um, you can have shops along the street with apartments above it, you know, we, we can change the zoning code and we can go to the city to propose these codes that would allow for that to happen. One of the things I really wanted to have you on today to talk about too, now that we've talked about urban planning and kind of what you do, what that looks like, what does it look like for, you know, um, a lot of, uh, something I just recently learned about is gentrification. Um, I had zero idea what that word meant. Um, and so I wanted to have you on here too, to just talk a little bit about what is gentrification for those of, you know, for the listeners who don't know, and um, maybe a little bit about like the pros and the cons of it, because I think there's both to the situation as there is with any situation, but Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I can touch, you know, lightly on this thing. It's a very complicated uh, issue, but um, in in general, what gentrification is, is when a neighborhood, for example, um, sees drastic changes, um, usually in the sense of increasing housing prices, um, increasing activity, it's when a neighborhood becomes desirable for a different, uh, usually a richer uh, crowd. So um, this happens a lot in um, you know neighborhoods that have historically been more you know more diverse neighborhoods or just kind of um, you know poorer neighborhoods in cities. That all of a sudden there's some sort of spark that makes it a cool place to be. Like um, Perry Street in Spokane, for example. Mm. 15 years ago, Perry Street was um, not the place it is today. It was, um, you know, a neighborhood that was kind of known for a little bit higher crime. It was maybe a little rougher. um, And, you know, there's that strip along Perry Street of a few blocks that's... Had, it had some businesses back then, too, and it historically has. Those buildings there are not new. But the city invested in some street improvements, um, really, you know, to make the sidewalks nice and wide and put in street trees, put in new lighting, um, and make sure they reduced the speed limit through there, put in mm-hmm. some new crosswalks to make it a really friendly place to be. And that created... a a trend of um, a bunch of new businesses locating there 
Um, and it all of a sudden became a hip place to be. You had, you know, a new bar, a new restaurant. You had some, you know, coffee shop and eventually right. a brewery. Right. And, you know, thrift shops, things like that. It's a fun place to be. Right. So, and now there's running clubs there. And it's it's like this cute little pocket with, within Spokane. I think the Perry District is one of my favorite places to be in Spokane because it has the cute character. Mm-hmm. But it also, you know, it's not like super modern and sleek and clean, but it's just cute. You know, it's got cute old buildings and cute neighborhoods got a local park Mm -hmm. um but i can see how even when you're starting to get to the lower south hill of where perry district is that is kind of a a a bit more of a as people would call it sketchier area which i could see kind of how it Mm -hmm. evolved from that into what it is today Mm -hmm. and so what what that what gentrification is is the um, outward effects that that had from from that uh, you know on just a few blocks of improvements a few um, new businesses it made it a desirable place to be it makes the home values in that area go up um, people want to live near there so there's a lot of competition for the houses which drives. Um, housing prices up in that neighborhood mm-hmm. so you're what the the effect of that while it's good for the city while it's you know new activity and it's a fun place to be it makes the city cooler it starts to displace people that have lived in that neighborhood for a long time and why does it do that it does that because the people that have lived there have lived there for a reason because it was a neighborhood they could afford. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have either, you know, both newer and older established families in those neighborhoods that chose to live there because it was affordable for them. Right. And over time, it becomes unaffordable to them and they are forced effectively to move because the prices are just going up too much. Right, because the the draw of that area is just so much greater. Mm-hmm. You know, you've you've updated it, you've updated the streets, the ways to get around, you've updated the sidewalks, you've got these awesome, cool, new, hip little businesses going in. So then it drives up the quality of like, oh, this this kind of like hipster, cute place to live, or um, and then because of those effects people want to live there more and then they move there which more people moving there bumps up the price and then it basically like you said displaces people who were already there which is the negative part of it too right and that's Mm -hmm. kind of what contributes to the lack of affordable housing too of Mm -hmm. you know certain areas of town um you just cannot like the south hill you cannot find a place on the south hill that's you know really ease you know inexpensive to rent or affordable shall we say mm-hmm. yeah and this this happens you know all over um you know seattle for example another place that you know almost the whole city has been gentrified so many people have been pushed out to the suburbs because living in the city of seattle is so expensive right um so this is what you know where a planner's role could come in um, is you could set zoning requirements or other um, code requirements for 
developers when they build new housing to, for example, an apartment complex or condos, that a certain percentage of those units that they rent or sell have to be under the market rate. They have to be mm. low income or affordable housing. Um, and that's that's just a, that's just something you have to follow when you develop that property. Mm-hmm. And that would make it so that there's a still a certain amount of units available at a more affordable cost. Right. So what is the the average person person um, Joe Schmo off of the road? What can they do to potentially prevent gentrification or the increase in price? For their neighborhood to a point because it to a point it will happen do you happen to have any ideas for what could people could do whether it be attending you know local neighborhood meetings or um, talking to their local planners or anything like that um i think well i think it depends on what your average joe schmo looks like and what their opinions are because people have a lot of strong feelings about um affordable housing and low-income housing in their neighborhoods. A lot of people think it's a bad thing. They don't want that in their neighborhoods because it's going to attract the wrong crowd. And I, so I would urge people that think like that, a lot, often the term in planning and um, you know, similar circles is NIMBY, which means which stands for not in my backyard. So we call mm. people that, that, you know, I refuse to see change in my neighborhood I refuse to um you know I it's fine if it happens but just not in my backyard not in my neighborhood right um so I would urge people that feel like that to just be aware that you're that living in a city is a cooperative effort we mm-hmm. all live here for a reason we share resources we share roads we share sidewalks we share parks um, we shop in the same places. Um, we're all part of a community. So thinking that your neighborhood should be a certain way is fine, but stopping people from, but when it impacts people so negatively, um, that they're displaced from their home mm. or that there's no good options for, you know, people that just want to, you know, that want to go to school in the city or want to work at a restaurant or, you know, there's, there's no place for a lot of those, you know, lower income jobs to live at right. a certain point. Right. And so I just think that we need to be very aware that we're all in this together. Right. It's a collective. It's just a collective. You know, it's a neighborhood for a reason. Yeah. And and you want to be living next to people, to these people, and maybe you end up with a neighbor you don't like. But mm-hmm. in general, but you know, you want to care for people and you want to care for the neighborhood and those you live near. And you're not going to always like everyone that you live around. But yeah. that's part, like, I just don't think, because if you, if everyone thought that way that, oh, just not in my backyard... They couldn't, people couldn't go anywhere. Right. If everyone thought that way. And those people are people, they go somewhere. It's the same thing with a homeless situation. Mm. Like, the, it's, the main problem isn't that they're in their, that they're in your neighborhood. 
It's why does this exist in the first place? Yeah. So, you know, I, I would I would urge people that feel like that to just just take a second look at just to always consider the point of view of someone who is not as well off as you. Right. And and to just accept and to and other people, other things you can do is support city efforts to um, you know, planning efforts, for example, to make to make progressive zoning codes to make pro- uh, progressive codes that allow for, um, you know, that dictate that developers need to provide a certain amount of affordable housing. Yeah. Um, and. Right. Yeah. It's been fascinating for me to work in a financial institution right now. Because I work for a financial institution that deals specifically with people who can't get served elsewhere. People who are going to payday lenders like MoneyTree and cashing their checks, right? And another thing that we see too is frequently is people who can't, who can't find affordable housing. Um, that's a big thing right now, a big thing. You know, we recently just launched like this loan product example for people, um, who were dealing with rental, who, who just needed rental assistance, you know, to get by because between first and last month's rent, security deposit, pet deposit, if you have pets, you know, heaven forbid you have pets because then you'll have to pay extra money for them. And it's just been fascinating to hear from people in the community and local nonprofits, local, um, um, what's that called? Uh, landlords, um, who focus in on underserved populations and to hear about how people are getting displaced because they just can't afford it anywhere. I mean, Spokane is, people are moving to Spokane particularly because it's kind of up and coming, right? I even say that. I'm like, oh yeah, Spokane's up and coming. It's becoming more progressive. It's becoming more um, a place that people really just feel welcome and want to live in. Um, and I think it's, I think it's interesting that um, you know we say that, but then what does that do to the people who um, can't afford to live elsewhere um, and who just need a place, a roof over their head? It's just interesting because it's like. There's pros and cons. And some of the pros are like exactly what I just said of it's up and coming. You're in, you know, you're bettering the quality of life around you. Um, and, you know, for a certain population of people, for like the middle class people, shall we say, mm-hmm. um, you know, so there can be benefits. So it's not all bad. Is that kind of, am I getting the right impression from that? Yeah. And I think that, I think that no one would doubt that it's a good thing to have fun, cool neighborhoods. Right. But I think we just need to find ways to minimize the negative effects of it. Because right. like you were saying, um, you know, this displacement, if it, it starts somewhere, it starts in a neighborhood that it displaces people from one neighborhood to another. But what that does ultimately is it's everyone... Um, you know, housing prices go up and they go up everywhere. And so Mm -hmm. at some point you, you know, and you, as the population increases, everyone's moving around enough that someone falls basically out the the bottom. 
Mm -hmm. Um, You displace enough people, and then the poorest of those people end up on the street because there's just nowhere to go. They just can't afford even the most affordable option out there. And that's often what happens with you know, a lot of homeless people is they just are yeah. forced out onto the street. Um, it's interesting too so, how we rely this. Now we're going off on a tangent, but I did just, it's so relevant because I was um, attending like a virtual fundraiser today for Transitions, which is a local nonprofit here that helps transition women and um, from poverty and homelessness to a better life for themselves, to, you know, having a regular income, a livable income. And one of the things that they were talking, or one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, that I was even just thinking is we rely so much on nonprofits to help the pe- the people most in need in the communities and how it's all the jobs of the nonprofits to be able to help people. Isn't that fascinating? Like, it's just interesting. And this is something that's a whole nother can of worms that I would like to dive into too, is what government's role in decreasing the homeless populations are, you know, mm-hmm. is. Um, and I know certain nonprofits get funding from the government, um, but it's interesting how how a lot of the support and the the resources for people who for for people who have low income, underserved, homeless, are coming from nonprofits. We're relying on on nonprofits to do all the work. I think that's just fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point and i think that's a i think that you know that's a whole other road right. to go down yeah um, yeah but um and i'm sure that there are going to be you'll, you'll have some guests that are going to be you know very knowledgeable in that i i can speak to that a little bit but um but yes that's i think that of... i think that it's a i think that it's a something we should question that we should analyze and take a good look at what's government's role in right helping out the homeless people and helping out the the most unfortunate most members of society vulnerable. and most vulnerable yeah. um because right who's going to you know who's going to take care of them and i feel like a lot of the problems that people complain about with homeless people um they don't ever want to do anything they don't ever want to actually do anything about um and and there it goes it gets to a whole other systemic reason why these people are homeless in the first place because there is the way that we talked about where people are displaced um they just can't afford a home anymore but there's so many other reasons that people end up homeless Right. right it's yeah i i i just i see a lot of um that would be a fascinating topic to topic to talk about too of mm-hmm. ideas on better ways that we can prevent homelessness or that we can provide a better future for people and provide a roof over people's heads. That's really, I mean, that's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs is shelter. Housing is a basic human need just as much as food and water. Yeah. It's, it's basic and, you know, I have the opinion that we, that everyone deserves housing um i think that that's something that the government should intervene in um not everyone would agree with that but yeah. i 
I think that it would, I think that if we help the most vulnerable of this, it lifts everyone up. I loved what you said. I love this because you said that too about, I think it was, um, like, I don't even remember if it was like wheelchair accessibility or something where it's like, if we build something for the least privileged person in our society, then every single person will be able to successfully use this product or this place or this business will be able to successfully utilize it. And I love that. I've used that so many times in my personal life ever since my personal life. What <laughs> other way would it be? But I've used that so many times in reference since then because it's like same with um, even the websites you look at. If you're colorblind, you're going to have a hard time certain times with websites. That's something I deal with in my job, making sure that the organization I work for, the website's up to, you know, up to par with making sure that people who have all types of abilities um, or disabilities um, are able to access those products. So that's, I think that's, I just love the way that you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that's a great transition to the multimodal oh, yeah. transportation I wanted because to that's talk the so context that, that yeah. I, I think I said that in, but you're right. I think that it applies in many um, areas of life that just just helping it, just making things accessible for the most vulnerable mm-hmm. um, you make it accessible for everyone yes and why wouldn't you want that so that's another question but yeah so tell me uh, you're very passionate about this topic too which is why I really wanted to talk to you about it of why is um, you know what is multimodal transportation? And, um, why are you so passionate about, um, you know, accessibility for pedestrians, for, um, cyclists, uh, bicycle, I don't know what the correct term is. Is it cyclists, cyclists, bicyclists, not bikers. That's like motorcycles, isn't it? Sometimes I say bikers as long as it's in the right context. Right. Um, so tell me a little bit about your history, about like what you prefer and, um, maybe a little bit about what your job does to, um, to cater to multiple Mm -hmm. modes of transportation in a certain community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think getting, um, interested in this start, like, I think I just lived in an apartment, um, you know, during college um which university sorry Aaron went to multiple universities (laughs) (laughs) well it was it was eastern it was when I was living in Spokane and commuting to Cheney um but I had a bike and I I lived kind of in the center of town and I biked a lot of places I'd bike to work I'd bike to school um Mm -hmm. you know I'd I'd just bike around a lot and I think that that got me thinking even back then about why isn't it easier to bike around? Why does it have to be so hard to get around by bike? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've had multiple experiences since then. I lived actually in downtown Spokane and I lived in Seattle for a while. Right. Um, and especially in Seattle, I worked in downtown Seattle and I lived about two miles outside of downtown, but I would never drive there because it was very expensive to park for the day downtown and traffic was not something I wanted to contend with. So I walked or biked every day. And right. so I think when you, when you live that life, you, you see how 
when you're when you're in a car, you're so protected. Um, you're shielded from the weather. You're on your own. You can just kind of, you know, zone out. You can do your own right. thing. You don't have to think about everyone else around you unless you're, you know, dealing with someone in traffic. Right. But, but when you're walking, you're experiencing the city. When you're biking, you're experiencing the city. And you're dealing with the weather and you're dealing with the, you know, you're a much more vulnerable person. Right. So you're, you're having to interact with people, other people walking and biking a lot more. And you're also having to contend with vehicles. Mm-hmm. So it just got me, I just got so passionate about why we why our roads are so unsafe for people walking and biking because right. it's such a fundamental way to get around especially right. walking it's the most affordable to, way to get around mm-hmm. buying a bike oh my gosh way monumentally cheaper than buying a car oh yeah uh-huh so why is it not more accessible for the least the least um, expensive of the the transportation options well we've been we've been, we've come to rely our cities have literally been built around the car um, which is fascinating so you look at european cities they're much denser they're much more um you know they, they don't have as many um they don't have as much sprawl basically we we in like the US, sprawl is in space like as play, in room you, to sprawl yes uh-huh okay. so cities uh, city sprawl is basically that, like, it's basically suburbs. So you have your yep. dense city core where, you know, your center of business, your mate, your, you know, in a big city, your skyscrapers. Right. And then just a bunch of single family homes on the outskirts. And those are the suburbs. And it, single family homes take up more space than a, you know, apartment. Right. Um, so that ends up, you know hundreds of thousands or millions of people spreading pretty far. Um, and the reason we were able to spread out like that rather than stay in our denser city cores is because of the car. And what that did was, at, you know, it's good at the time because it's convenient. You can live in the suburbs and commute into the city and it's nice and easy and you don't have to work that hard to do it. Um, but what we did is we built our cities so that you have to have a car to get around mm-hmm. and, and any other choice is not very feasible. Right. <laughs> so, you know, our best cities are, you know, city downtowns are very walkable. Sidewalks are wide. There's often, you know, trails or bike lanes, um, but that's really only in the in the city core. So so one thing that's that was interesting to me too is, for example, and I know we're talking a lot about Spokane, but let's be real, most people are going to be who are listening are going to be from Spokane anyway. So it's going to be relevant, I right? So it's like um, it's interesting because the downtown Spokane, you'll see that it's it's just. When people live in the same area, there's more that you can do to be able to, there's more that you can invest into the city because of what taxes and things like that. Whereas when people move out of Spokane, out of the city core, then their taxes go to a different area. You know, they're investing in this different community, which takes people out of the city core, which 
doesn't allow it to grow and um and and be this you know diverse Mm -hmm. and and yeah nourished community yeah flourishing so so when you when you when you talk about these cities and how and how dependent we are on cars i like it just became one of my passions i was just like dumbfounded that like oh my gosh we literally built ourselves into this situation and um so i just started getting very passionate about what can we do to make it better for bicycles and people walking because because owning a car is expensive and as our generation has seen and i'm sure that the generations after us will see it's not the same world that our parents grew up in it's not you can't buy how you can't work your way through college buy a house and own a car yes (laughs) like like our parents were able to our dad literally paid his way through college working at a mexican restaurant in spokane like what working Mm -hmm. what waiting tables is how he paid his way through college you just cannot do that anymore so i think i mean and i think owning a car is one of the biggest expenses that most people have car payments insurance gas it adds up um (laughs) so i don't understand why we require it a lot of jobs require you to have a car um Mm -hmm. and i just don't think it's fair i just don't think it's fair that everyone should be able and you know there's a lot of people who are disabled and can't drive or can't afford it or don't want to or elderly people and then you also have kids and teenagers who aren't old enough to drive right and you know those are the ones that are walking and biking to school so what like why don't these facilities exist why don't we have safe crossings and we you know there are a lot of places that do now but our city is here is still so disconnected and um you know bicycles are allowed on most roadways but having a bicycle ride in a travel lane with a car that's tough is not okay because yeah it's a it's a power dynamic between the car and the bike and the car wins every time yeah um people get annoyed with cyclists riding on the road Mm mm-hmm but the reality is there's no really other option for them. Right. And so if we built those options, then it would be safer for the cyclist and people driving wouldn't have to contend with it. Like it's just a win-win, but people don't want to invest in bicycling infrastructure because, oh, not that many people bike, not that many people commute especially in Spokane, for example, it's like 1% of people commute by bike. But there's a another theory which has been tested with surveys um, and research that the, the majority of people, if you, if you break people down into categories of cyclists, there's the strong and fearless, which is like 1%, that's like people who will ride on the highway. They're like, I don't Insane care. Like people. I'm, yeah. Like I'm gonna bike. <laughs> I'm gonna bike down this highway. Cars whizzing past me, two feet away at sixty miles per hour. <laughs> eh, it doesn't bother me. Oh my gosh. I'll be fine. That's very small percentage of people. And then there's the next group, which is I think like 
20, 15 to 20% of people that's... Um, and you're talking of this 1% of people who actually bike, this is the percentage within that percentage. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no. So this, yeah, this is of people that bike, but this is the next level. So below strong and fearless, okay, there's yeah. the like, um, optimistic or like strong, but cautious, I think, yes. or something. Yeah. Um, and you know, those are people that are, okay, I'm, most of the time I'd be willing to go in the road, but I'm going to keep my eyes out and be a little bit more cautious. And then there's the interested, but concerned category. And that's about 60% of people. So that's most people would entertain the idea of biking, of commuting by bike to work, but they're concerned. They're concerned about their safety and the convenience of doing that and the ease of doing that. Mm-hmm. And I'm mostly concerned about that giant hill coming up to my house. <laughs> right, right. Hills, hills are a whole other issue. <laughs> that's sure. really what my concern is. <laughs> But, but if we, you know, disregard hills and, you know, flatter areas or, or right. if you just didn't have right. the option, yeah. if you had to bike to work. Mm-hmm. Um, Much better and quicker than walking. So if we, Especially if with we, motorized bicycles and everything like that now that we have that's still affordable. Much more affordable than cars. Um, but but uh, um, will help us get around better. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I you know, that was part of my research and my grad school was um what's this there's a pent-up demand basically for more cycling facilities for more paths better trails things that are separated from the roadway and so if we built those we would see more people biking to work so it's one of those things like if you build it they will come Mm. if you build the bike lane if you build the trail it's the field of dreams it's my dream (laughs) (laughs) aaron's dream Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So what's what's something that we can do, just your regular Jane Schmain um, off the street, what's something that they can do, um, that we can do to better be better advocates for that and to act on this passion of yours? Well, I would, I would um, again say I think that just be aware when you're, you know, when you're going around the city, be aware of that we we kind of accept that cars are a given. So just take a second look at that, first of all, and just realize that not everyone can or wants to get around by a car. So the next time you're frustrated because you're stuck behind someone cycling or, um, you know, someone crossing the road or something, just have a little bit of empathy for that person because they're out on this road taking a risk essentially with their lives because cars are dangerous to people outside of cars yes moving cars are dangerous Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and they're also dangerous when they're not moving because you can run into them sometimes yes that's true (laughs) if you're in klutz yes So having more awareness is kind of mainly what you're talking about. Having more um, compassion for people who are biking on the roads mm -hmm. and scooting nowadays because scooters are a big thing. And realizing, too, that, you know, it's a it can ultimately it can help you because if we if we get more people on bikes and more people walking and more people taking public transportation, for example, if we support those things and fund them with our tax dollars, 
it helps everyone because then it also it relieves traffic congestion so even mm-hmm. if you don't partake in public transportation or walk or biking and you're like oh i don't want to pay my taxes to support those things i never use them but it benefits you because it if you're driving in your car those it's having those systems in place takes that many more people off the road and you're no longer stuck you know it makes your commute home 5 minutes quicker right right that's such a good... And, I, I really, and the environmental side of it that oh, it's less pollution from cars. We're going to have many cars. episodes <laughs> about that. We're going to have... That's something I'm particularly passionate about that I'm very excited to talk about. But um, this has been super juicy. I love that word. It's been a juicy convo. I would also... I have one more thing that people Ooh. can act on. Say it. Do it. Get out on your bicycle. Go for a walk. Walk down you know walk to the store walk to the grocery store go walk downtown walk in a different neighborhood get out there and see what it's like because that also will give you a little bit more empathy yes um that'll make you see what it's like from the other side and um you know every time that you've been like why isn't there a crosswalk here? Or why are people speeding through this area? Why are people speeding through my neighborhood? Right. It's all because of it's the way we have our infrastructure set up. We we build our roads for cars to go fast and get through. Mm-hmm. But if we built our neighborhoods for the most vulnerable, for the walkers, for the bikers, then we help everyone out. It's safer for everyone yeah. because cars you know you restrict the space for cars they they automatically have to go slower right um so it just it just builds a better community in which more people can access more things and that's safer for everyone so oh, yes love. you might not be able to drive you know it might slow down your trip to the store or to work by a couple minutes if we have to you know, install a, another crosswalk that mm-hmm. stops traffic, or if we okay. replace a traffic lane with a bike lane. But those things ultimately make the whole city better. And it right. does, it may not benefit you directly, but it does indirectly. I was going to say, yeah, and it, it will. It will, it just will over time, you know. It might, it, it, I think that, it goes back to that saying, if you build it for the most vulnerable in the community, as you said, everyone will be able to enjoy their transportation, their commute, and their community. I love that. This is Great awesome. takeaway. Great takeaway. <laughs> well, if people were to can want to connect with you more about this, what is one of the ways that you are willing to let people reach out to you and talk to you about this more? Well, I'd be happy to talk to anyone if they're if they have more questions. Um, I don't claim to know everything, but I practice this stuff and I think about it every day. So I at least can have a conversation and I know where to find resources about things. Right. Um, so I would I would be happy to if I don't know if you have a way of guests getting yeah replying to things. Yeah. Um, I do have you know I have. Facebook and Instagram, people are welcome to add me. Well, what's your Instagram account? <laughs> uh, I do have an urban planning one. It's um, called PNW Cityscape. 
Is there an underscore? In the in the title, yes, it's PNW underscore Cityscape. And Cityscape, C I T Y S C A P E. Yes. Beautiful. So follow you on PNW underscore Cityscape. That's his urban planning page. And you can, of course, reach out to him via slide into those DMs and talk to him about anything that you'd like. Also, you can just talk to me because you know me and everyone has my phone number pretty much in this um, listening circle. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on today. It was a, an easy thing for me to say, Aaron, I'm going to force you to be my first guest on the podcast because you know a lot about this really interesting thing that I feel like not a lot of people know about. So thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was great. I know. I feel like it was, I feel like it was a fun conversation and, um, I think it'll make a good first trial episode for you and Mm -hmm. hopefully people will learn something. I a hundred percent, they will. I learned something. (laughs) Well, thank you again for tuning into, um, the first official episode of the act with Alina podcast. Don't forget to be kind, be productive and be willing to listen. I'll see you next time.